0: Well, hey everyone, my name is Norton Herbst. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And today is the third Sunday of Lent, Um, but it's really a unique Sunday because we canceled church this weekend because of the coronavirus outbreak. So I am recording this by myself in my office at home. Uh, My kids actually offered to come out and be an audience um, while I uh, (laughs) preached this Um, And they said they would say amen, and they would laugh at all of my jokes, although I don't have any jokes this week. Um, But they would do all sorts of crowd-type things, uh, but that would have made me preaching a sermon by myself in my office even weirder. Um, So uh, all you have is me. Um, I'm here, and uh, today's sermon is going to be unique. Um, It's not what I planned. I had a very different sermon planned for this week. Uh, And that's because this past week has been really unique and has not gone the way that anyone thought it would or planned. Um, In fact, it's been unprecedented, right? I mean, none of us have experienced anything like this past week. There has not been a significant health scare, in our country or an epidemic like this to to hit the U.S. Obviously, it's hitting the whole world, but to hit the U.S., there hasn't been anything like this in a hundred years. We've never, as a nation, made so many wide-sweeping changes so quickly that have affected uh, everyone and will last not just more than a few days, but certainly weeks, maybe even months. Um, I was thinking, it feels a little bit like 9-11, but even that was different. Uh, that was a shock, and, 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 and that changed everything, right? But, um, but the NBA didn't shut down. <laughs> uh, sports didn't stop. Um, libraries and schools didn't close for weeks or, or months. Um, so, so this is unprecedented. And, and as a result of that, um, I, I feel like it's really important— um, especially since we canceled church this Sunday, uh, to just pause and, and reflect on this. Um, because I think there's, there's three temptations that most of us are faced with right now. And, and you've probably been faced with these this past week, as, as I have. Three uh, default responses to what's been happening. Three um, almost gut-level responses. And I want to share these with you, and I want you to write them down. Um, so if you don't have a piece of paper and a pen or pencil in front of you, uh, just hit pause on the podcast and go get uh, a piece of paper, um, or your journal, if you have a journal and, uh, and something to write with, I'll pause for a second. So you can go do that because I want to share with you a few things today that I, I really want you to write down so you can think about them, um, for a little while. So hopefully you're ready now. Uh, here are the three default responses or gut-level responses that I've experienced in this last week to everything happening with the coronavirus, um, and that probably most of you have as well. Uh, The first gut-level response is to just focus on ourselves. It's to focus on ourselves. Uh, The second response is to get caught up in fear and anxiety is to simply get caught up in fear and anxiety. And then the third default or gut-level response, I think, is to just be frustrated and almost resentful with all the inconvenience that we're experiencing. To be frustrated and resentful with the inconvenience we're experiencing so there's three things where uh, we tend to focus on ourselves right now. We tend to get caught up in the fear and anxiety right now. And we tend to be frustrated and resentful with all the inconvenience. Now, I've got three other things that I want you to write down because I believe um, that there are three different kinds of responses that we can have and that we should have. As followers of Jesus. And so I just want to spend the message today talking about three alternative responses. They're different than our gut level responses that we can have and that we should have as followers of Jesus to this epidemic, this outbreak that has happened, and all the warnings, and all the coverage, and all the closings, and all the cancellations, and everything. is happening. And so I want you to write these down as well. Three responses that we can have and that we should have. Here's number one. This is an opportunity for us to show true love. It's an opportunity for us to show true love. You see, during this time, in the coming days and in the coming weeks, we can show true love towards a few different groups of people. We can show true love towards the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable of this virus. We can show true love towards healthcare workers who are doing their best right now with the limited resources they have. And we can show true love simply to our wider community and to others who have real needs right now. In fact, this is why we decided, the leaders of New Denver decided to cancel services for today and and maybe even for for the next few weeks. We haven't decided yet. We'll keep you posted on that. Um, And and the selfish part of me, quite honestly, wanted to keep our service today. I wanted, I didn't want to take, this isn't a day off for me. I wanted for us to have our service this weekend. And, and here's why. Because I had already spent hours planning a different sermon for today. Our worship team had already planned songs to sing and, and rehearsed and practiced those songs. We had already put all the slides in for the service this weekend. We had already printed bulletins. Um, we had even, we we're going to take communion this Sunday and we had worked on a really, uh, clever way to do communion where no one would have to touch anyone else. Right. And we could do it in this super clean way. Our janitor spent extra time on uh, Friday morning, cleaning everything in the church doubly well, you know, making sure every single surface, um, was pristine, um, I wanted to keep meeting for church today because I'm not aware of anyone in our church who actually has the coronavirus right now. Um, I I realize I'm not at very high risk uh, for getting the coronavirus. Even if I did get the coronavirus, I'm probably young enough that from what I've read, um, because I'm super young, right? Uh, I'm young enough from what I've read that it, it probably wouldn't be a significant health threat to me. And so all of those things have been going through my mind this week. Of Well, of course, we're going to keep doing our service on Sunday. But then at some point, I think it was Wednesday a little bit, and then through Thursday, and then by Friday morning, I think it was the Holy Spirit nudging me. And interestingly, he was nudging others on our staff and our elders as well. We all felt the same when we began really talking through all of this by Friday afternoon. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, look, those are all good reasons for doing the service, but they're kind of focused on you. You're not really thinking about others, and you're not really thinking about the bigger picture. And as I studied the bigger picture on Wednesday and Thursday and on Friday, I realized the same thing that many of you have realized as you've heard all the information about this, there is a really huge danger right now to high-risk individuals, particularly elderly folks, people like my parents. My parents are almost 80 years old. Anyone over 70 it is at is a very high risk. If they get the coronavirus, it, it could be really dangerous, so there's a huge risk to them. There's a really huge danger to our healthcare system right now. There's an an important graph that's circulating. You might have seen it. Um, the easiest place to find it is on the website Vox, V-O-X. So if you just Google, if you want to push pause and do this for a second, you can Google um, Vox, V-O-X, um, coronavirus chart. And on Google, the first, uh, the first link that comes up says nine coronavirus pandemic charts. Everyone should see click on that. And there's nine great charts there that just unpack some really important information. Go down to the very last one. And on the very last one, what you'll see, and this has been going around, it's been a very helpful chart that people have, have really begin to understand what's happening. Um, what you see is that there's a line there about a third of the way up, the horizontal line that says healthcare system Capacity. And really, what that represents is our healthcare system right now has limited resources and limited abilities to handle a certain number of cases. And if we don't do anything to stop the spread of coronavirus, um, then the number of cases will spike and skyrocket, as it did in parts of China, as it has in northern Italy, and it will very quickly overwhelm our system and overwhelm the resources that we have. And so I I actually had a doctor's appointment uh, yesterday. It was for something very minor and totally unrelated. Um, And when I went in, uh, the nurse just looked tired and exhausted. And I said, how are you feeling? And she said, we're overwhelmed right now. She said, it feels like we're cleaning all the time. But the reality is it's not just about cleaning. It's about the capacity to treat patients. It's about the number of test kits that are available right now. It's about the amount of beds that are available, the amount of medicine that's available, the amount of ventilators that are needed for those who are beginning to have breathing problems. And, And the research is showing, it's very compelling, that if we don't do anything right now, our healthcare workers, our system, our society as a whole will become overburdened and overwhelmed really quickly. But if we take drastic measures, and this is what leaders began realizing about middle of this week, if we take drastic measures like canceling large events and what's now been called social distancing, we've all become familiar with that term, we can literally slow down the spread of this virus to potentially manageable proportions that will allow our healthcare workers and our system to be able to respond adequately. And so leaders have come to these conclusions and they've made some really tough decisions. But I think once we understood this at New Denver, it actually wasn't a really tough decision because this is how we love others. This is how we say to the vulnerable and even to healthcare workers, hey, we'll do our part to help you out as much as possible. It's a small sacrifice for us, right? To not have church in person for one Sunday. I think we can do that. Maybe a handful of Sundays, right? And if that helps, if that serves our wider community, is there any better way to show love during this time? I mean, this might actually be the most tangible way we can not be just focused on ourselves but we can show love and compassion to others outside the walls of our church. So with all that in mind for you specifically, what might that look like personally for you over the next few weeks? How might you see this as a great opportunity to show true love in action to others? Maybe it's offering your time, your energy to go shopping, for someone who's elderly right now and, and a little bit afraid to even go to the store. Maybe it's just checking in on them, someone who's elderly, to make sure they're okay. Uh, schools have been canceled, right, for at least the next three weeks. Many other things have been canceled. For some, that's going to be a significant burden over the coming weeks. Maybe it's not a burden for you, but for others, it might be the, the childcare burden that they now have might be difficult. And so maybe it's offering to help someone with childcare, to watch kids for an hour or a few hours or one morning over the next few weeks. Maybe there are people who are sick or quarantined, and you could go shopping and drop some groceries off for them. Or you could ask if there's ways you could help their families, because that'll be difficult for their families. Some of you emailed me when we sent out the email uh, on Friday afternoon, some of you emailed me and you volunteered to help. And that's so awesome. And if we hear of any specific needs in our church, we'll definitely put those out and let you know about those. But don't wait on us. <laughs> because uh, truthfully, we have a lot of young and healthy and fairly self sufficient people in our church. So there might not be a ton of needs within our own church community. So, so maybe it's you emailing your coworkers. And asking coworkers, do they have any parents or grandparents that live in this area or any neighbors that might have needs that you could help with because you just want to help right now? Maybe this is a good opportunity to ask your own neighbors to figure out how they're doing, get to know them a little bit better. Maybe you could post something on the next Nextdoor uh, website or app um, for your neighborhood saying you're willing to help. I, I don't know. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. You can be creative, but I think this is one of the best opportunities we've had in a long time to actively show love and compassion to others. What did Jesus say? I don't even need to look up and cite the verse for you. You know what he said. We all do. He said, love your neighbor, right? Love God and love your neighbor. Do unto others what you would want them to do for you. I'm not sure it could be any clearer what a great opportunity this is to live out our calling to love others right now. So we have a great opportunity to show real love, genuine love to others. But there's a second opportunity, a second way we might respond right now. That's that's also important. Number two is we have an opportunity to be a non-anxious presence. We have an opportunity, I hope you'll write that one down too, to be a non-anxious presence. The truth is, a lot of us are scared right now because this is so unprecedented and things have changed so quickly. I mean, a week ago, I would have never thought we would be canceling. Ch- I mean, I even said at church a week ago, we're not going to cancel services, right? And things changed rapidly this past week. And, and, and all the news coverage doesn't help much either, right? Obviously, media outlets have good intentions in covering this and they kind of have to. It's the main thing happening, Right. But given all that's happening and given all the coverage and given all the cancellations, um, that just creates a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. And so what can we offer as followers of Jesus when something like this happens? And so many people right now in our neighborhoods and in our city are genuinely afraid and genuinely anxious well, I think we can certainly offer hope, right? And hope isn't um, ignoring what's happening. And hope isn't offering pat answers either. Well, everything's going to be okay. Just, just don't worry about it all, right? That's not hope. Hope is simply to believe that, yeah, this is a tough situation. We're facing something we haven't faced before. And, and yet God is with us. And God is close to us. And we're not alone in facing this. So we offer hope and we offer what I I, I love this phrase, a non-anxious presence. I've really been thinking about it a lot recently. What does it mean to be a non-anxious presence? It means when we're faced with sources of fear and anxiety, we take deep breaths and we remember all the times that God said to his people, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I can give you my peace. And when we can be present in a non-anxious way, in the midst of trouble or in the midst of challenges or in the midst of fears, in the midst of closings and cancellations in the midst of bad news and all of those things, when we can be a non-anxious presence with others, it makes a huge impact on everyone else around us. It's like we become the agents and the conduits of God's peace and God's comforting presence in our world. I want to tell you a fascinating story. It's about How followers of Jesus did this were a non-anxious presence hundreds and hundreds of years ago um, in a very loosely similar set of circumstances. In the ancient um, Roman Empire, in the second and third centuries AD, the Christian movement was still very small. Um, It was anywhere scholars have sort of calculated what it would have looked like at that time based on a lot of documents we have Um, In the second and third centuries, uh, Christianity was still anywhere from about 0.5% to 2% of the population in any given city. So if you live in a city of 10,000 people in the Roman Empire at that time, there might be anywhere from 50 to 200 Christians in your city at most. So imagine our church, the people of New Denver Church, being all the Christians in a city of about 10,000 people people. Now, we know from records and from histories that two major epidemics swept through the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries. The first is called the Plague of Galen, and it began in about 165 AD, and it lasted about 15 years, and there's lots of information on this. Scholars today uh, think that this plague, it's called the Plague of Galen, they think that it might have been smallpox, They're not exactly sure, but the plague of Galen eventually killed 25 to 33% of the population in the Roman empire at that time. Think about that. That's one out of every three or four people dying from this plague, not just getting the plague. A lot of people got the plague. At least one out of every three or four people actually died. From the plague. In fact, it was so devastating it even killed the famous Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, revealing that no one could escape the possible consequences of getting this virus and potentially dying from it. There was a second virus that was called the Plague of Cyprian, and it swept through the Roman Empire in about 250 AD, so about a hundred years later. And it also lasted about 15 years, and scholars think it might have been the measles at that time. We're we're not sure about that one either. But we have vivid descriptions of this virus and and what it did from ancient writings. In fact, one ancient writing describes that at the height of this virus, 5,000 people a day were dying in the city of Rome. Now, the reason I mentioned these two epidemics And how bad they were is not, obviously, to scare us anymore. It's because historians and sociologists have studied these epidemics, and they have discovered that the small Christian movement at that time had a unique response, a response different from most of the other people living in the Roman Empire at that time. And they had a unique response to both of these epidemics, and their unique response contributed in part to the rapid growth of Christianity in the Roman empire from this point forward. Rodney Stark in his book, it's called the rise of Christianity. He describes this in detail. And and Stark is a secular sociologist writing this book. Okay. And, And he describes two things in particular that Christians did during these two epidemics. First, Christians were not driven by fear and anxiety. And so when the plague arrived in a city, everyone who was scared of getting this plague and everyone who had the means immediately fled the city. We have reports of this where people fled the towns. They didn't want to catch the the plague. They were scared to death of catching it. They abandoned anyone who had contracted the plague, right? Even if a family member got the plague, they took off because they thought the plague meant certain death. And so they left and abandoned their family. They abandoned the town and, and they avoided people who got the plague Like the plague, right? That's where we get the expression. But that's not what Christians did. Christians weren't afraid. They weren't paralyzed by fear. So you know what they did? They stayed. They trusted in a God who was with them. And so they stayed in the cities. Not because they necessarily believed God would protect them from the plague. They knew they might get it too by staying in the city. They might even die, right? But they had a hope in life after death. That wasn't a fear for them. And so we have so many reports of Christians, followers of Jesus, staying in the cities. Because they weren't driven by fear. They weren't driven by anxiety. They remained as a non-anxious presence of hope. And guess what? They did something really important. They didn't just stay in the cities because they weren't afraid. They began to take care of the sick. They loved people in tangible ways. Those who were getting sick, those who were getting the plague, they showed compassion and mercy towards them. And here's what's so interesting about the story is some really fascinating results came about. Some Christians who stayed in the cities to help those who got the plague, got the plague themselves, right? No surprise there. And they were exposed and they died as a result of it. But interestingly enough, Christians began to develop immunities to these plagues more quickly than the non-Christians who had fled. And because they also cared for one another other Christians who had contracted the plague, the death rates were actually significantly lower for Christians. Their survival rates were significantly higher. In fact, modern medical studies show that simple caring and nursing for the sick, even without medication, even without modern equipment, simple caring and nursing for the sick can cut the mortality rate significantly. (laughs) And so what do you think happens when followers of Jesus are staying in the cities? They're in non-anxious presence. They're loving. They're caring. They're even praying for the healing of their brothers and sisters. And then the people that they're caring for are actually getting better. They're surviving at a much higher rate. And then Christians don't just care for their own brothers and sisters. They begin to care for non-Christians too. And think about that. What kind of impact does that make? If you're not a follower of Jesus and your own family leaves town because they're scared and they're anxious and they don't want to get the plague and they don't want to die. And then some stranger Christian comes in and sits at your bed and cares for you and serves you and prays to their God that you would be healed. And then you get better. What does that do? And now you can see from a sociological standpoint, you can see why Christianity begins to grow rapidly during these years. They actually have higher survival rates in times of disease. There's higher conversions because people are experiencing the love and the care that they're showing. And seemingly miraculously, they're saying, these people can also heal. Their God can heal, right? And it's all because, they were a non-anxious presence because they were a people of hope, because they were people who showed genuine love to their neighbors. And so here's what I want you to ask yourself. In light of all the fear and anxiety and uncertainty right now, how can I express, how can you express hope? And how can we be a non Anxious presence. I have one more opportunity that I want to share with you. This is a third opportunity that I think we all have right now. And it's maybe more personal for all of us. It's an opportunity to give up something for Lent. It's an opportunity to give up something. Lent. So I I don't know if you forgot, but this is still Lent, right? It's easy to forget over the past week with all this coronavirus stuff that's happening and it's drawing our attention and it's just, it's everything that we're thinking and feeling right now. But remember, we're in the middle of Lent. And Lent is a time of journeying with Jesus. Lent's a time of introspection and reflection. We've said that Here at New Denver, Lent is is going to be a time this year of some intentional practices and and it's intentional training. It's like preparing for a race that we're running. And that means that we've chosen to give some things up or to to let go of some things during Lent and, and be open to what God wants to teach us. And some of us have let go or given up some very tangible things. And I hope you've kept that practice during this past week. But... I've been asking over the last few days, Jesus, is there something new you want me to learn through all this stuff that's happening in our world right now? Is there something new you want me to give up? Maybe what I need to give up is the selfishness that I mentioned before, where I've kind of been just thinking of myself. Maybe this is a great opportunity for me to think more about others. Maybe for you, if you're listening, maybe the fear and anxiety piece is the big one for you. Maybe this whole week has just been pushing all of your fear and anxiety buttons, right? You're one of the people at King Supers that's buying up all the toilet paper right now, right? And so maybe it's fear and anxiety that that Jesus is just saying, this is something you need to let go of and let's figure out how to do that. But I thought of something else this week, (laughs) because everything that's happened in the last few days has i realize it's it's made most of our lives inconvenient and uncomfortable right now I mean shopping at the grocery store is a pain, right? My kids are on a three week spring break and and I love my kids and 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 one week was going to be fun but I've got to go to work, right? I've got things to do. I, I, I And I don't even have smaller children. If I had smaller children, I could see how that would be a, a, a real challenge right now. That would be a big burden. College students, graduate students, this is really inconvenient time. I teach at DU and they just had to switch everything. And most colleges have done this, switch everything to online. And so students are having to figure out whether they're gonna stay here, they're gonna go home and how they're gonna change their whole schedule and and approach school differently and and teachers and professors and administrations are making difficult decisions and it's hard for them, right? Travel has gotten a lot harder. My son was supposed to go on a school trip that he's been preparing for, raising money for for the last year and he's been super excited about it. It was gonna happen in about two weeks to Costa Rica and now he can't go. Some of us normally travel for work and and that's changing. And how about this? No March madness, right? No NBA. No, no, no spring training, no baseball, no hockey, no soccer, no music concerts. I mean, even the libraries have closed, right? Church is closed now on Sundays. So so there's so there's all oh, I could go on and on. There's all these inconveniences and And I don't want to belittle, some people are facing real hardship right now, more than inconvenience, Um, and and, and that's real. But let's be honest, for most of us, these are inconveniences. I'm not going to get to sit on my couch and watch basketball all day on Thursday when the first round starts, right? I'm going to have to stand in line at the store. We ran out of, um, we ran out of, paper towels here and we're not, we're probably not going to have any for a few weeks, right? I have to wash my hands every two hours and that's kind of getting old. And, and it's almost as if I can hear Jesus saying in all of that, okay, okay. So, so maybe life is going to be a little bit inconvenient and uncomfortable for a few weeks. Are you really going to complain about that? Are you really going to keep grumbling about that? Are you really going to be resentful about that? Or or is this maybe a great opportunity to let go of some of the convenience and some of the comfort that you're so used to? I mean, what if for some of us, this truly is like our 40 days in the wilderness without food and shelter and all the other comforts that Jesus gave up? for 40 days? What if Jesus wants to teach us something about Lent during this season? You see, I don't think this is just a great opportunity for what God wants to do through us as we love and as we are a non-anxious presence. I think it's a great opportunity for what God also wants to do in us. So how will you choose to respond this week? Will you love others? Will you be a non-anxious presence? Will you embrace being pushed outside of your comfort zone and believe that maybe God wants to teach you something new through all of this? We put together some discussion questions um, for every sermon. We do that every week for for our D groups to use uh, when they want to discuss the sermon. Um, and maybe you're not in a D group. Um, and if you're not, you can reflect on these ideas and use these questions as well. And so these are going to be on our website. They're posted where this message is. And if you want to take a look at those questions and use those to unpack some of these ideas today a little bit more, um, I encourage you to do that. There's also some resources uh, that are listed on there. And one of those resources, is what I want you to use as I wrap up today. I want to ask you to do one thing right now. I want you, after this podcast is over in a minute or so, I want you to spend a few minutes on your own just praying. I found a prayer online. It was written by um, a Jesuit Christian, specifically about the coronavirus and praying uh, for people around the world and people in our lives. And I'd like you to take just a few minutes praying through it. All you have to do is is read this prayer slowly out loud. That really helps, just reading it out loud and not quietly to yourself. It might help to change your posture to get down on your knees or to open your hands or just to do something to indicate that you're praying to God. And as you read the words out loud, maybe you're not even that used to praying out loud or you're not comfortable doing it, just give it a try and let the words that you're reading become your words. If you're by yourself, just pray through this prayer slowly by yourself. And if you're with others, then you can take turns praying through it with others. That prayer will be found, as I said, in the discussion questions, and you can just click on that link and use that. And my prayer for all of us is that in the coming days, God would bless us He would keep us, he would protect us, he would use us, and he would draw us closer to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.